keeping your covenant. Keeping your covenant. And I'm going to deal a little bit with the Ark of the Covenant. And then I want to break down some things. And we're going to wind up in the book of Revelation talking about a church called Philadelphia. Let me read three verses of scripture to you very quickly. And if you're a note taker, and I, I hope a lot of you are, uh, this would be a really great Bible study for you to take notes with tonight. And I think it will help you. Let me read you some scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter number 10, verses 4 and 5. The Bible says this, And he, speaking of the Lord, he wrote on the tables. These are the tables of stone which Moses had to hew out the mountain so that God could write on them because Moses broke the first. And he wrote on the tables according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them unto me. And I turned myself and came down from the mount, now watch this, and put the tables in the ark. Everybody ought to say the ark. I put the tables in the ark which I had made, and there they be as the Lord commanded me. So that's the first thing that God ever had them place inside the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony is the two tables of stone that contain the Ten Commandments. Numbers 17 and 10, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony, that is speaking of the Ark of the Testimony or Covenant, to be kept for a token against the rebels. And thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me that they die not. The second thing that was placed into the ark was Aaron's rod. And then Exodus 16 and 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commands. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. When I brought you forth from the land of Egypt, and Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot, put an omer full of manna therein, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. So that's the third thing. They put in the two tables of stone. They put in Aaron's rod. And they put in the manna. And the reason we know that those things were there is because the Bible tells us again at different places that they were in there. Now, that I have established that. that I just wanted to read those verses just so you know those three things are in the ark because we're going to come back to it. The ark of the covenant, as we commonly refer to it, the Bible often refers to it as the Ark of Testimony. That was the place where God's glory dwelt. God's Shekinah glory dwelt above the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was between those two angels that were carved on, on top of the Ark. It was, it, it was the, the covering of the Ark. And so those angels, their arms went out and they, their wings, excuse me, went out and they touched one another and they looked downward into the mercy seat. And that is the place where God's Shekinah glory dwelt when he was with the Old Testament church. And uh, that Ark of Testimony is called the Ark of Testimony 
because when the Lord was telling them to put these things in the ark, he was saying to them that these things are a testimony between us. They are a covenant between us that I am the God who did these things. I am the God who gave you his word. I am the God who used Aaron and his rod. I am the God who fed you with the manna. And so these things all have very significant representation to the Lord. And he said, I want you to remember specifically these three things. Now, let me say to you right now, let us be careful. I am so concerned about modern-day churchism and how we do church in, the modern, in modern times. I feel like church has become a destination event for a lot of people. But that is not the way God intended for the church to be. The Lord never intended that church would be an event. The church is not an event. The church is a living, breathing organism. It is an institution established by the Lord God Almighty himself. And so if, if church becomes to us an event, where we come to sing, and we come to be preached to, and, and we treat preaching like, you know, we've, we've turned preachers into performers, folks. We have literally turned preachers into performers. Uh, the Bible lets us know and that, that Moses was not a man of smooth speech. History tells us that the Apostle Paul was not a man of smooth speech. And if you read his epistles, you will find that he actually was very indelicate often in the way that he said things. He, he, he was not smooth and clever, and, and he didn't try to do that. Matter of fact, he told us, I didn't come to you, he said to one of the churches there, I believe it's church at Corinth, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. And so we need to be careful that we do not make preaching an event and we do not challenge preachers to, to entertain us. I want to be a good preacher. I want to be a good preacher. But please don't fall into that camp where you have to be entertained by preaching. And that is a sad fact. And I'm probably hammering that just a little harder than, than I need to. But it is a sad fact that many people have treated preaching as entertainment. And it's, and it's a sinful thing for us to do. It, it, is, it is making sport of, of the method that God has given us whereby we can be saved. How can we hear without a preacher? How can they preach except they be sent? I'm just going to tell you right now, this is not anywhere in my notes, but y'all know me, I'm, I'm going to get there. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, if a preacher is preaching the truth of the Word of God, and he is a called preacher... There is not a preacher that is more anointed than another preacher. Don't ever think that some because somebody is more is more eloquent and somebody is better at moving a crowd that they have more anointing than another person. That is not the case. Don't ever degrade somebody's ministry like that. Not everybody may have the same ability in oratory, but if they are preaching the truth of the power of the word of God. That is somebody that is deserving of honor and respect. And the Bible even says to give honor to whom honor is due. 
And it says to give double honor to those who labor in the word and in doctrine. So we ought to thank God for every preacher that's ever preached to us. Um, we need to be careful that we don't allow the singing and worship that we love and enjoy so much to become entertainment for us. How do you know if it's becoming entertainment? If, if it has to be done a certain way, and if it's not done a certain way, then you don't care for it, then you've made it entertainment. Well, you've made it entertainment. But if we went back to the days of Israel and, 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 and the early church, and we saw how they worshiped God and, and the songs they sang, and we heard them sung, and they still sing them over there, uh, it would absolutely be totally different than, than your contemporary Christian. It would be totally different than your southern gospel. It would be totally different than your black gospel. It would be totally different than anything you and I have. And, and we need to be careful we don't make these things about our preferences. What I am saying tonight is we've got to be a church that is stronger than that, that we are not, that we are not led about by those kinds of things. But instead, we are keeping our covenant with God, that, that this is not a preference-based walk with God that I have, but that it is a covenant-based walk with God that I have. I am doing this because I have entered into a sacred relationship with him. When I married my wife, I entered into a covenant with her. And so she is my wife, and I'm going to love her. I'm going to be faithful to her. Whether she makes me happy or she makes me mad, I'm going to... And she always makes me happy. I love you, babe, and I appreciate you. But whether I'm frustrated or I'm happy or whatever the case may be, I am in covenant with her. And so I don't leave her. I don't, I don't get frustrated with her and throw up my hands and say, well, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Why? Because I have made a covenant with her. I have made a covenant with her, and that covenant is so very important. In the same way, we are making covenants with God. When we are born again of water and of the Spirit, we are making a covenant with God, whereby we choose to serve Him and to live for Him. And so this ark was representative of that. This ark of testimony or covenant, it was a witness to Israel and against Israel. This ark was that they had entered into this relationship with God. Now the problem was, that Israel, which is God's Old Testament church, Israel, the, the Jewish people as a nation, and I'm just calling them the Old Testament church because it's an easy way for me to identify that tonight as I go forward. They neglected, very often, they would neglect to hold fast that which had been handed to them. So God's given them this covenant relationship. He has placed these things in that ark and said, this is important. This is where your eyes need to be. And, and yet Israel neglects to hold on to those things. And what a shame it was. We find in one place of scripture when Solomon is dedicating the temple that he built to the Lord. We find that Solomon brings the ark in. And the Bible says that there was nothing in the ark except the two tables of stone that God gave to Moses in the mountain. Somewhere along the way, they lost Aaron's rod that budded. Somewhere along the way, they lost an omer of manna. And this was important. And then after that, sometime between Solomon putting the ark in there and, and Babylon coming 
and ransacking Jerusalem and the temple, they lost the ark. And so to this day, the Ark of the Covenant is is lost to history. We don't know where it is. We don't know what became of it. If it was destroyed now or or if it's hidden away somewhere. And and there there was at one time there was thoughts that the Israel as a nation wanted to give up a little bit more of the West Bank if they could just get more of the Temple Mount. And the, the conjecture was that they felt like the Ark of the Covenant might be under there somewhere. And if they could get that, then... They would have the power of God with them again. and The problem is they did not value it to the, um, to the extent they should have valued it when they had it. How are you going to lose what is more important than anything else? How are you going to lose what is the, the most significant piece of furniture in the entire nation? How are you going to lose things out of that? By not valuing it as you should. Perhaps they lost those first two things when Hophni and Phinehas carried the ark into a battle. They were Eli's backslidden sons. They were priests, but they were backslidden priests. And they took the ark of the covenant into the battle with the Philistines. And God showed them that you cannot use my glory. You cannot use my power as a mascot. As something to just call on in a time of trouble when you have not been valuing it up to that point and expect me to work on your behalf. And it was stolen from them by the Philistines. Maybe that's when those things were lost. We don't know. But I'm going to tell you there's a great lesson to be learned that we would not let go of what God has placed in our covenant ark with him. Can you say amen? Now, the life of Jesus Christ, it typified all three of these covenants. And I'm going to go through that in a little bit. But Jesus showed us how he valued all three of these covenants. And he showed us that they can be secured. Israel failed, but the Lord succeeded in that. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. Where the first Adam failed, the Bible tells us this. The Apostle Paul, in his teaching in the New Testament, he lets us know that where the first man, Adam, failed in the garden, The second Adam, who is Jesus Christ, succeeded. The first Adam failed, but the second Adam succeeded. And I will tell you that where the first church, the Old Testament church, failed, the second church, which is the New Testament church, we can and we must succeed. Now let me say this. The church is going to succeed because we've read the back of the book and we know that God's church will be triumphant. But hear me when I tell you that God's church is going to be triumphant collectively. It's going to be triumphant collectively. As a whole, the church is going to to come through this thing. We're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to cast our crowns at his feet. Uh, The the Antichrist is going to be destroyed. Satan's going to be bound. and, And all of these things are going to happen uh, there's going to be a new Jerusalem. All the, the church is going to succeed. However, that's the collective church. It also lets us know that in the last days, that if it's possible, even the very elect should be deceived. So while the church as a whole will succeed, there are individuals who will be deceived. I don't want to be a part of that group. I don't want to be in that. I want to be a part of the church that goes on 
to rule and reign with the Lord. I want to walk streets of gold. I want to cast my crown at his feet. I want to worship him at the throne. I want to walk beside that crystal sea. I want to see the, the fruits of the trees that are for the healing, the leaves that are for the healing of the nations. I want to watch all of that. I want to see all of that. I want to rub shoulders with the patriarchs, the matriarchs. I want to be with all of those people that have gone on into glory, that great cloud of witnesses. I don't want to miss it. And so if the church is going to succeed, remember that. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't even try to do this stuff. I, I, I mean this, y'all. It just comes to me. You remember that old song? Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, Lord. So there's no doubt whether the saints are going. They're going to march in. Here's the thing. Oh, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to lose my place in the kingdom of God. You have nothing, and I'm going back to stuff that I preach, but hear me. You have nothing that is more valuable than your walk with God. You don't have anything that is more valuable than your walk with God. It is to be prioritized above everything else. And it is in that that everything else should find its value. Our walk with God. There's this principle that is found in Scripture about the second being better than the first. The Bible says that the Lord has spoken better things. The first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. The Old Testament church failed, the New Testament church is going to succeed. That which comes after is better. Let me show you this in, a, in just an illustrative way with some of the patriarchs. Ishmael was born first. But Isaac was better than Ishmael. Ishmael was done after man's way, but Isaac was in the plan of God. Then Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first, and then Jacob came out. But Jacob became greater than Esau because Jacob was the, was the one that the, 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 the promised inheritance and lineage fell to. It came to Jacob. And then he had grandsons um, through Joseph. Joseph had gone to Egypt and he married and he had children. Their names were Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was the eldest. Ephraim was the younger. And yet when he took them to his father, Jacob, he put them in front of him so that Jacob's right hand, which signified the greater blessing, should have fallen on Manasseh and the left hand should have fallen on Ephraim. And, and that's the way J uh, Joseph brought his boys to his father. But when Jacob went to place his hands on their heads, the Bible says he wittingly crossed his hands and he put his right hand on Ephraim and his left on Manasseh. And when your Bible talks about them, it doesn't say Manasseh and Ephraim. It says Ephraim and Manasseh because that which came after was better than that which came first. And so... Uh, we have to understand that we are a part of the New Testament church and as great a blessing as was ever on Israel. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost now. As great of a blessing as there ever was on Israel. You hear me when I tell you that there is a greater blessing on this church age dispensation church. There is a greater blessing that is on this New Testament church than they ever recognized or realized. I'm going to tell you right now, 
Perhaps one of the reasons that we've turned church into, a, into an event is because they never got to experience church like we experience church. They've never felt the presence of God move among them like we feel the presence of God move among us. They have never felt the Spirit of God within them as we feel the Spirit of God within us because the Holy Ghost was not poured out until we get to the New Testament church. And, and so what a blessing we have. What wonderful things we have. God declared the end from the beginning. And he said that the latter rain was going to be greater than that of the former rain. And so he's always telling us that that which is coming is better than that which was. And that is why I believe that this church is a progressively increasing church. I know there are problems in our world. I know there are issues in our world right now. But I am declaring to you that we are a part of the greatest thing that has ever been. And, and though we face difficulties and though our country has problems, we've got politic problems, we've got racial problems, we've got, we've got uh, discrimination coming out, even some from the other way problems. We've got a lot of problems in our country. But I am going to tell you one thing about the church. Don't lump the church in with all of that. Because the church is above all of that. And the church is progressively increasing. I'm telling you that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm glad to be a part of it. And so as New Testament believers, it is so important that we maintain these three covenants with the Lord. What were those covenants? It was the tables of stone, Aaron's rod, and the omer of manna. What do those represent? The tables of stone, that represents God's word. Everybody say God's word. It represents God's word to us. And when we have God's word in our covenant, then it will guide our morality. God's word will guide our morality. It will guide our doctrine. It will guide everything about our belief system. My belief system is not shaped by the college I went to. My belief system is not shaped by the friends that I have. My belief system is not shaped uh, by my own thoughts and ideologies. My belief system, first and foremost. Now, if somebody can affirm those things, if they're in the Word, that's one thing. But my belief system, the basis of it, the foundation of it, and the, and the growth of it, is all found in the Word of God. That's where my belief system is found. That's what guides my morality. That's what guides who I am and how I do and the decisions that I make. Everything I do comes from that. It's very important. You're going to see why. The second thing that was in there was Aaron's rod that budded. The reason that even happened was because Moses was leading Israel in the wilderness. And a man named Korah, rose up and he gathered some others with him. I believe it was 70 that he gathered with him. And they rose up against Moses and Aaron. They said, who do you think you are that you're trying to take all this on lead us? Who made you ruler over all of these things and leader of, over us? And God was furious. And, and, of course, it was God that had done it. God told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And God told Moses to lead them out. And God spoke to Moses on how to do it and all those things. God had obviously ordained Moses as their leader. And yet they rose up against him. And so when that happened, God said, all right, tell, I want the leader from every tribe 
There was 12 represented. I want the leader from every tribe to go put their staff in front of the Ark of the Testimony, Ark of the Covenant, and leave it, over, leave it there overnight. And the one that buds in the morning, brings forth leaves, uh, is going to be the one. It's a dead stick, but whichever one the next morning has leaves coming out of it, that's my man. And so, of course, Moses is part of the, the tribe of Levi. And Aaron put his staff, because he was the Aaronic priesthood, he put his staff representing the tribe of Levi. And uh, the next morning they got up, and not only did none of the others have nothing on it, but Aaron's rod had leaves, but not just leaves, but it had budded as well with almonds. And it was signification that God had placed his anointing upon them to lead Israel. And so when that happened, God cursed Korah. They, the, the earth swallowed them up. It was a terrible thing that happened. Fire come down. All these, it was a horrible thing that happened. And yet God said when that was over, I want you to put Aaron's rod inside of the Ark of the Testimony because this is a very important thing. You've already got the tables of stone. That lets you know my word is what guides who you are and how you do. But now I want you to know that you need to have this rod in there because it is representative of God's authority that we must submit to. All of us must submit to God's authority. You and I, we must submit to God's authority. We have to give him final say in all that we do. The third thing in there was the omer of manna. That was represented, that's what God fed them with every day, was the manna. That was representative of God's provision for them. And he was letting them know that my provision for you will always be enough. It is more than enough. It is always sufficient for you. And so this is the covenant God made with them. And these are the three things that God highlighted. His word, his authority, and his provision. Okay? Now Israel lost all of that. Hear what I'm saying. Israel lost all of that. But Jesus comes along in the Gospels. And Jesus... Holds on to all of that. How did he do that? Well, let me, I'm just going to give you his own words, okay? When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, John the Baptist, this is a good Bible study tonight. John the Baptist baptizes him. When he comes up out of the river, the Bible says that immediately the Spirit led him into the wilderness. So he goes up in, into the wilderness, very barren place. He's fasting. For 40 days, he is fasting, and Satan comes to him, and Satan says, Hey, I know you're hungry. If you really are who you say you are, why don't you, or, or who, I, who I believe you to be, perhaps, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And then Satan comes, and he says, Hey, if you really are who you, who you say you are, cast yourself off the temple. It's written that he'll give the angels charge over you that, they shall catch you lest you dash your foot. If you really are who you say you are, third temptation, I'm going to allow all the kingdoms of the world to pass before you. And if you will just fall, fall down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. But every time that Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus responded with these words. It is written. It is written. Now you have to understand Jesus is, is, has a dual nature. He is fully God. His spirit is fully God. But that flesh is fully man. It is humanity. And so that humanity was tempted. And when it happened, Jesus said, It 
is written. That's in Matthew 4. I am telling you that Jesus' response to Satan illustrated his commitment to God's word. That in the ark of Jesus Christ, there was a commitment to the word of God. That whatever he did, it was not going to be dictated by what he was tempted by. The devil could not tempt him to do what was contrary to God's written word. It is written. That's what he came back with every time. What was he saying? He was saying that inside of this vessel, within my heart, there is a commitment to the word of God. That original thing he put inside of that ark, those tables of stone, to say that my word is what will guide you. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. Thy word is a light unto my path. That's what guides me. That's what chooses the path I go. That's what tells me which direction to take. That's what tells me how to live and how to do. Jesus was saying, that's what, that's what I base everything I do on is the word of God. All right? Then, how, okay, how did Jesus uh, prove that he, had, that he had this submission thing down? He showed his submission to God's authority in Luke chapter number 22. And I'm going to turn there tonight. Luke chapter number 22, verses 41 and 42. Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. It says this, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. When Jesus prayed that, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That humanity was saying, I have that rod inside of my heart. I have made up my mind that I am submitted to God. I am submitted to the Spirit of God that indwells this vessel of flesh. And that is what I will submit to. I'm not chasing my will. I am not chasing my way. I am not chasing my whim. I am not basing anything on how I want to do. I am saying, God, let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done in my life. Jesus showed us how he had that. And then the third thing. He exampled how he believed in the provision of the Spirit of God, that it was enough. How did he do that? It's in Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6, and I'm going to verse number 25. If y'all are still with me, somebody say amen, clap your hands, give a wave on, on your comments right now. Matthew chapter number 6, and let's go to verse number 25. This is what Jesus says. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? I've already proven that verse. I've tried it. It didn't help. And why take ye thought for... You can laugh right there. 
Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hear this. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, Jesus was saying, He exampled his dependence on God, that God would provide his needs. He told one man who said, I want to come follow you. He said, no, no, are you sure about that? He said, the heirs of, of excuse me, the birds of the air have nests to sleep in. The foxes have holes. They have dens that they can sleep in. But the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He was totally and completely dependent on, upon God to supply all of his needs, even to the point of what he spoke. He said, uh, somebody accused him of some things, and he said, I speak only that which the Father says to me. Whatever the Father says to me, that is what I speak. He knew that God, the Spirit that indwelt him, that God would always provide everything that he needed. So he told his people, he told his followers, his believers, he said, you don't even have to take thought for the morrow because the morrow is going to take care of itself. As your days, so shall your strength be. And I want to say something to somebody right now that you're struggling because you're worried about tomorrow and the day after that and the week after that and the month after that. I want to tell you right now that if you really trust God and you really believe all that he has said, You can bank on this, that he is going to allow everything you need to be taken care of. There's not one problem tomorrow you're going to have that God won't give you the wisdom to deal with it. There's not one situation that you'll deal with. There's not a health issue that could come up that God will not give you the strength, the grace, the peace, whatever it is, that God will not help you take care of that and deal with it. Hallelujah. So Jesus succeeded. Israel failed. I'm moving, I'm moving quickly here. Israel failed in the Old Testament, but Jesus succeeded. They lost their table, their, their Aaron's rod. They lost the manna. They lost, eventually, the tables of stone. They lost God's provision, God's authority, God's word. However, Jesus exampled to us that he had a hold of God's word, God's authority, and God's provision. And so we in the New Testament are encouraged that we too can succeed. And it is to this point that the the authors of the New Testament write so very much. But I am going to really just draw from the Apostle Paul tonight and share with you some of of his teachings uh, to us. We are encouraged to succeed. We can succeed in holding on to the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 
Paul wrote to the church, and this is what he said. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, of us, you heard it from us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. I am just so prompted right now. I feel like God told me to, to just hit this real hard right now. He told me to take a little bit to, 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 to not be prideful right here. Or excuse me. To not try to exhibit too much false humility right here. And to say what I need to say. When I am preaching to you like I am preaching or teaching to you right now. The word of God that I am sharing with you. I thank God that there are some of you that I pastor. That when I teach like this, and when I preach like this, you don't just take it as the word of a man, but you take it as it is in truth, the word of God. And you say, if that's what my pastor is preaching, if that's the lesson my pastor is teaching, I trust that that lesson or that message is inspired divinely by God. This is a preacher, a pastor that gets up, and I'll preach messages. I'll re-preach a message if the Lord tells me to. But I'm never at a loss to preach you something. I'm never at a loss for fresh word for you. Because I spend time with God. And when I do, God gives me a word for this church. And I am going to tell you, you can trust. And I, and I hope you do trust that when I get up here to preach, I didn't just get up here to tell you, you know, seven things you can do to have a better life. I am telling you what God has told me to share with you. It is the word of God. And if it's not the word of man, but the word of God, then it has the power to effectually work in you. If you will take, my goodness, if you will take what I am preaching tonight, this effect, this word of God will effectually work in you that believe. That's what the scripture says. It will work in you. It will change your life. It will revolutionize your life. I want to speak to somebody right now who's hurting. I want to speak to somebody right now who's disappointed. I want to speak to somebody right now who's offended. I want to speak to somebody right now who's angry. And I want to tell you, if you don't get anything else from me, if you don't get any, if I can't pat your back, if I can't do some of those things, but if you'll hear this word that I'm preaching you and you'll take it into your life, it will work in you and it will change you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can take this word of God. That's what Paul's telling them. He said, you did this, and, it, and it, it blesses me, he's telling the church. It blesses me. I thank God without ceasing because of this, that you have taken the word of God. You have an it is written spirit on you. <laughs> As Jesus did, you have an it is written spirit. The Old Testament church may have dropped the ball there, but you've held on to it. And I thank God for you, saints of God, that are holding on to it is written in, in you, what you hear over this pulpit. Amen. Now, God's authority. We've got God's authority. We're going to put that in our ark. We're going to keep our covenant. Somebody just say it right now in your home. I'm going to keep my covenant. I'm going to keep my covenant. Romans 12 and 2. We've got God's word. Let's talk about his authority. This is what Paul writes to the church at Rome. And be not conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't go along with just what the world says to go along with, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that as the humanity of Christ was subject to the Spirit, submitted to the Spirit, then I'm going to tell you right now, this flesh and this Spirit is going to be submitted to the Spirit of God in my life. I'm going to submit to that. I'm not, I'm not going to go outside the boundaries of that. I don't want to chase my own will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. That's how Jesus prayed it. We need to start praying that. Not my will, but thine be done. We've got God's word. We've got his authority. And then we have the promise of God's provision as well. And I'm going to hold that inside of my ark. Philippians 4 and 19. Y'all, I'm going to be done early tonight, okay? So don't go nowhere. Philippians 4, 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I've got God's word in my heart. I've got God's authority in my life, my heart. And I've got God's provision, the, the assurance of it in my heart. Let me tell you one thing I know, and, and I live a very blessed life. I'm very blessed. My wife has a good job. This church takes care of me and my family, and I thank God for it. We're blessed people. But let me tell you something. It wasn't the promise of those things that brought me here because when I came here, it was me putting the money in the church because we were having church in my home, and we just had a burden to plant a church here. I'm not saying that because I need you to pat me on the back. I'm just trying to let you know this is in my heart. I have a confidence that God will provide for me. Let me tell you why I've got that confidence, parents. Because my parents showed me if I would honor God, if I would put Him first, if I'd be faithful in the tithe, if I'd be faithful with offerings, if I would be a sacrificial giver, my parents showed me if I would do those three things, that God would rebuke the devourer and that God would bless me beyond my ability to even conceive. And I've seen God turn things that I didn't think could be turned. I've seen God bless me in ways I didn't think I could be blessed. And I've made up my mind to be a blessing to other people because of that. I don't want to ever shortchange anybody. I don't, want to, I don't ever want anybody to point at this preacher and say, that's a cheap preacher. He doesn't tip well. He doesn't take care of people. I want to be a blessing to God's people. I want to take care of, of, of people that even are not in the family of Christ. I want to take care of them because I have found that I, that I have a God who takes care of every need that I've ever had. He's taking care of my health. He's taking care of my family's health. He's taking care of our finances. He's taking care of our clothing. He's taking care of a roof over our head. He's taking care of what we eat. He's taking care of what we drink. I don't have to take thought for the morrow because I know no matter what happens, if I lose everything tomorrow, don't you come at me and say, well, God didn't provide for you. You just watch me because I'm going to keep putting my trust in him. And I'll know that if I lost it all, it's because God intended for me to lose it all. And he had another plan for my life. God is a provider. And that's in my ark tonight. 
that is in my ark. I am keeping that covenant. I'm keeping the covenant of God's word. I'm going to live by his word. I'm keeping the covenant of God's authority. I am going to be submitted to his rulership in my life. And I'm keeping the covenant of God's provision. I'm going to put him first with my tithe and my offering and my sacrifices. And he will bless and take care of me. Now, I end. This is, this is where I told you we'd end. There's a church in the book of Revelation called the Church of Philadelphia. You can read about them in Revelation chapter number 3. And as you read about this church, all three areas that I have dealt with tonight, this is a, this is a, a, a continuing pattern in Scripture. God's word, God's authority, God's provision. God's, say it with me. God's word, God's authority, God's provision. It is, it is a continuing pattern in Scripture. And when you get to the church at Philadelphia, the Lord speaks to that church. And I'm just going to read it to you. It's verses seven, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. I'm just going to read through verse 12. And to the angel of the church... No, I'm not going to read 13 too. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shuts... And he shuts it and no man opens. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it. Now watch this. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word. You have kept my word. You have kept my word. They had that in their ark. That New Testament Philadelphia church had that in their ark. They exemplify this. They had his word. You have not denied my name. You have not denied my name. Your name, my name is what is set on this church. You go read about the study about how God sets his name. When God sets his name at a place, he removed his glory from Shiloh where he set his name, the Bible said, at the first. But they let go. Of, they, lost, they lost the glory of God. And he removed his glory from them. So wherever God sets his name, that is an indication that God has authority there. That God is in control there. Isn't this good? God is in control there. So they had his name. They had his authority. They had his authority. So we've got the word of God. We've got the authority of God. Verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are... Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee. Here we go. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. The Lord said, I am going to make sure that you are kept. Because you kept my word, I'm going to keep you. Because you have been faithful to me, I am going to provide for you. And when everything comes against, and that which that our temptation comes, which is going to come upon all the world to try them to dwell upon the earth, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of because you have kept my provision inside of your ark. <laughs> Hallelujah. So what does he tell us to do? Verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. I'm telling you right now, God's coming quickly. 
We are living in the last days. Do not lose the urgency of the hour. God is coming quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast. What do you have? I've got my covenant with God. I've got those three things. I've got God's word. I've got God's authority. And I've got God's provision. Hold fast that which you have. That no man take thy crown. If you lose what you have in your ark. You're going to lose your crown. Hear me. If you lose what's in your ark. You're going to lose your crown. Him that overcometh. Verse 12. Will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. Which is New Jerusalem. Which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear. Let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. He told us. If we would hold fast. That there is a reward for us. If we will hold on to it. He said keep the things that you have placed inside your ark. And if you can keep those things, there is a reward for you. And I am telling you, the first Adam failed, but the second Adam succeeded. The Old Testament church may have failed, but this New Testament church is going to succeed. We know it will succeed collectively because we've read the back of the book. But I want to succeed too. I want you as an individual to succeed. I want your husband to succeed. I want your wife to succeed. I want your children to succeed. We cannot succeed without these things. And woe be unto you. If you'll go sit around and spend time with your family doing other things. You'll go sit around with your family at, 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 a, at an event or a sports event or a, a boat or the lake or a hunting stand. It, a, a, a mule ride. Woe be to you if you'll do that stuff with your family. But you won't sit down to hear this word that is the truth of the word of God. I'm telling you, God's speaking to us, church. We are in trying times. But in the midst of trying times, that's when we're getting ready to come out gold. And we're getting ready to see. We're going to come out gold. That ark was covered with gold. You're coming out gold. And what's inside of that ark is going to be inside of you. God's word, God's authority, and God's provision. Throw your hands in the air right now, wherever you are, and begin to thank God for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for the covenant that we have with you. I'm going to keep my covenant, God. I'm making up my mind to keep this covenant. God, if there's somebody been watching and they failed in the covenant, I pray right now that they pray that prayer of repentance, Lord, and that you would restore them to their rightful place in you, God. All it takes is a prayer of repentance, God. One repentant prayer can change a life of sin. And Lord, if we'll pray that, you'll restore us to the place that we need to be. And I'm claiming that right now for those who are watching who may have slipped in the name of Jesus. We give you glory and we give you praise. Amen. Amen. If you logged on late with us, make sure you share this with your, your friends, your family, so they can watch it as well. I love you. Sunday we're going to be here online, online at 11 o'clock. And I want you to get your family together. I want you to worship with us. I want you to be ready for God to move in your home and in your life. It's going to be a great day. God bless you in Jesus' name.